The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. One of the most exciting series, it's been a TV show series and now a movie series, is the series Mission Impossible. Anyone seen a Mission Impossible movie or show, anybody? Uh, Hopefully you're raising your hand in Cooper City too. I'll know, okay? So hopefully you're raising your hand there. Uh, Mission Impossible, one of the most exciting uh, TV shows and one of the most exciting movie series. And there's one part of them, there's a few things that kind of tie all of the movies and the TV shows together. First of all, is that the mission that they set out on it is impossible, okay? Like the mission they set out on, it's always absurd. It's always, you know, unbelievable odds stacked against them. There's no way it should work out. And yet every time it somehow does, okay, that's part of it. Um, it's always an incredible, like death-defying adventure story. Like there's just moments of seeming certain death that somehow uh, the, the main characters survive. So it's always, it's very, very exciting. But the one thing that always begins, and you kind of wait for it, if you know uh, the series, is you wait for how they deliver the mission to the main character, Ethan Hunt. And it's a bunch of different ways. Like some, sometimes like it's just like the old school way. It was like this old tape recorder where like there were two reels and like the tape is going from one side to the other and it's this recording and they would deliver the mission. And um, at the end of the mission, it would say, uh, this tape will self-destruct in five seconds. And um, Ethan Hunt is just, he's never phased by this. Like he's never like, wait, what? Like he never freaks out. He just sits there and then all of a sudden there's this like this puff of smoke and it destroys the evidence, which I always think like if he knows it's coming, like he never like tries to write things down. Like he's never like, maybe I should jot some notes or something. He just hopes he remembers it. Okay. But anyway, that's how he does it. But it's always, there's various dramatic ways. Sometimes it's like a telephone booth. Sometimes it's a, a pay phone. Sometimes it's some type of video that involves a retinal scan. Okay, like there's all uh, different types of ways that he receives this, mes- this message. But the most epic, the most unbelievable has to be in Mission Impossible 2, okay? We come upon the scene and we've got Ethan Hunt played by Tom Cruise and he's scaling the side of a mountain for fun. Like this is not even part of the mission. It's a sheer cliff, there's no net, there's no rope. He's just spending hours just for fun climbing up the side of this mountain. It's like miles beneath him. He hops up on top without even breaking a sweat. Like he's not tired, he kind of skips forward and just then a helicopter comes around the side of the mountain. And there's a man on side, uh, inside with a missile launcher and he points at Ethan Hunt and he fires a missile and the missile comes screaming at Ethan Hunt but he just looks back at the helicopter. He's not even phased. Like, get missiles fired at me all the time, okay? I eat missiles for breakfast, all right? A missile comes firing and lands next to him and before there's explosion, it's not a missile. It's a message. And the back of the missile opens up and comes out this, these Oakley sunglasses and he whips out the sunglasses and he puts them on and after scanning his face to make sure it's really Ethan Hunt, they give him a video voice recording and he gets his whole mission and right at the end it says, this message will self-destruct in five seconds. Okay. Now, if it's a tape recorder sitting in front of you that's about to self-destruct, that's one thing. But if it's a facial accessory that you're wearing that's about to self-destruct. Like, I'm like, oh my goodness, get this away from me, but not Ethan Hunt. He just takes it off. He says something to the, to the sunglasses, tosses them away as they explode as they're falling off the cliff, okay? That's how all Mission Impossible, something like that start out. But there's one thing when they're delivering the, the, the mission, and if you've watched any Mission Impossible, you've heard them say this. They start out like this. They say something like, hello, Mr. Hunt. Your mission, should you, should you choose to accept it? One time, I just want to see Ethan Hunt go, nah. I'm just not going to do it this time. I'm just, I'm over it, okay? You know, like, just one time. But he never does. They always give him the option, and he always accepts it, okay? It is a, it's a mission that only he can do. It's tailor-made for him. He's the one hope in the world that can accomplish this singular mission, and he always accepts it. Okay, now, I bring this up 
because we're talking about how God has designed a mission for each one of us, okay? So I want you to imagine tomorrow, you're on your way to work. You arrive at your office building. You go up the elevator. It lurches to a stop. All of a sudden, the lights flicker on. And then there's, you see that there's like a little door where the fire extinguisher is. It's open, and it says, open me. And you open it up, and there's a package inside. It's got your name on it. And you pull out the package inside. There's a tablet, and it says your name on the little window, Mr. Barnes. Press OK to continue. And you press OK, and it tells you what your, message, your mission is. And it says, should you choose to accept it? And it's a perfectly designed mission just for you, and you have to decide. I mean, you've got plans. You've got things you're going to accomplish that day. You've got things that you're going to have to put on hold. Your plans for the day. Are you going to choose to accept that mission? If it's me, most likely not, okay? I don't know these people. Like, who's trying to give me a mission? They clearly do not know my capacity. I'm, I can't run fast. I don't know martial arts, okay? I can't defuse a bomb. Probably not going to accept that mission. But imagine, this is what we're really talking about. Imagine that there is a mission on your life, Ephesians chapter 2, right after it says that you are saved by grace. It says you are his workmanship, and he has good works that he's foreordained for you to do. He has a mission on every believer's life, but it's not some strange agency that you don't know if you can trust. It's not some group that you don't know whether or not they know who you are and your capacity is. The one who invented you, made you, saved you, is saying, I have a mission for you, should you choose to accept it. How could we possibly turn down a mission like that? Because he knows who you are. There's two reasons that, that uh, followers of Christ, believers, turn down the mission that God has for them. The first one is this. They say, look, you don't understand. I'm just an ordinary type of Christian. I'm not like a super Christian. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm just a normal type of Christian. God does not have a special mission for me. That's unbiblical. He has a mission for every single follower of Jesus Christ. Here's the second reason people ignore the mission that God has in their life is because they have their plans and their dreams, and they take their plans and their dreams and they call it God's mission. And then when things don't play out exactly how they thought it should, they're confused about God. God, how come you didn't let this play out? How come I didn't get the promotion? How come I got fired? How come that relationship fell apart? How come uh, there's twists and turns in this I wasn't expecting? There's, I was expecting all ups. Why is there this down? Where's this valley? I thought I was climbing a mountain. But see, God's got a mission, and it means that one, we've got to accept what he said about us, and secondly, we've got to suspend our plans and say, God, what is, what is your mission for me today? Here's the thing that you need to know. He has given you every possible thing you need on your mission. There's just one last thing you need. One last thing. You've got everything. You just need this one thing. I want to show you what it is. Acts chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 23. If you have a Bible or Bible app, open to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. I want you to see what this says. And i got to tell you, church, this is, this is one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts, one of my favorite in the New Testament. I'm just so challenged, ministered, inspired to, uh, inspired by this passage. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. It says this, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, let me just give you the backstory. Let's pause right there for a second. Let me give you the backstory. Um, who's they? Where were they? What was said to them? Let's just kind of get our bearings here. First, let's talk about when this is. This is Acts 
4. So this is right after the Gospels have ended. This is months after Jesus was crucified, rose again, ascended back to heaven. So let me just, like, let's put that into perspective. Um, if Jesus was crucified, probably the beginning of April, that would have been around where Passover was in those years. Beginning of April is probably when Jesus was crucified. That puts Pentecost, uh, 50 days later, puts Pentecost at late May. End of May is Pentecost. In between Jesus' crucifixion and Pentecost, Jesus on the third day rose back again from the dead, defeated sin, defeated death. How could he do that? It's because he wasn't just a rabbi. He, the Messiah was God himself in the flesh. Defeating sin, defeating death, rose again from the dead. He appeared to his, all of his followers, and then he sent them on a mission and ascended back in heaven. Before their eyes, he went back up to heaven. They then began praying and waiting, and they received the Holy Spirit. God sent the Spirit. It went inside these believers, and they began preaching, and they began meeting every day and preaching. So that happened. Pentecost happened late May. This, what we just read, probably happened sometime June, July, August. It's right after that. So this is just the same year, just months uh, before Jesus was, uh, was crucified. Who's the they in this passage? It's Peter and John, and here's what happened. They're on their way into the temple. There's a man who sits out the outside there, and he's, um, he's a beggar. He's lame. His only option is to beg people who walk through for change. As they pass by, they're begging for change, and Peter and John, they turn to him and say this. We have no gold or silver, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. The man leapt to his feet, healed, and Jerusalem, the city, is stunned because they've all seen the man by the gate, and now they're all seeing him walk. And they're all flocking to the temple, and Peter and John are, begin preaching with just power, with boldness. They talk about, look, the, there's the name of Jesus. It's the, it's the power. He was, he was crucified. You, the crowds here in Jerusalem, they had asked for Barabbas, the murderer, and, and, the, and who was murdered was the author of life, Jesus himself. And it says, it's by the power of Jesus that this man was saved, Jesus, who died and rose again from the dead. And at that, members from the Sanhedrin and their guard come in. That's the religious leaders come in and arrest Peter and John. It's late in the day, so they, they put them in their jail. And the next morning, they put them on trial. And in walks the high priest and the whole high priestly family and members of the Sanhedrin. Now remember, this is probably like July. This is the same group that in April crucified Jesus the same group that arrested Jesus, uh, plotted around Jesus, lied about Jesus, saw to it that Jesus was whipped and beaten and crucified and mercilessly, torturously killed. They're now bringing them in front of the same group. This is the first time believers have been arrested. Peter and John are standing there, probably in the same room. They're probably staying in the same little jail where Jesus was. You imagine what they must have felt? Oh no, I thought we had this mission like to go to the ends of the earth, but like it may be over now. And they say, hey, on whose authority have you healed this man? And it says that Peter and John were filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what they said. They said, we want you to know without any misunderstanding that it was only by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who was crucified that this man was healed. Jesus was crucified and rose again from the dead and you were prophesied about. You are the builders who rejected the cornerstone." But we want to be clear, there is no other name under heaven or on earth by which anyone can be saved but by Jesus Christ. Now, like, if you're like an attendant to the Sanhedrin and you're like off to the side and you hear that, you're like, I wouldn't have done that if I were you. Not good. Well, the Sanhedrin, it says that they're shocked. But they, they don't know what to do. The man 
everyone can see was lame and now he's healed. So they dismiss Peter and John and they discuss what to do. They're, they've got uh, a conundrum that they're in. They don't know what to do. So they call them back in and they say, look, we're going to release you, but you cannot speak about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John uh, humbly, respectfully said, well, you've put us in a difficult position because we've got to decide whether we're going to listen to you or to God. And at that, the only thing the Sanhedrin can say to them is they threaten them and dismiss them. Now, remember, these aren't empty threats. This isn't big talk. They know what this group is capable of. And they dismiss them. Now, here's the last thing I want to point out before we keep going. This is what it says in verse 23. It says that they went back to their friends and told them everything that happened. But I just want you to see this for one quick second. In the original Greek that this is translated directly from, it was originally written in Greek, just this beautiful phrase. It's not the Greek word for friends. It's actually the Greek word meaning their own. And I love this description for fellow Christians in the church. It says, they went back to their own. Here's why that's so powerful. And I'm gonna just take this rabbit trail for a second because that is such a wonderful description of what we are to be together as the church. Sometimes we misunderstand and think the church is a nonprofit that we believe in and that maybe we support or help out. It's not. Sometimes we believe in, well, the, the church is, it's like coaching. And I go and I attend from time to time when I feel like I need a boost. And I go and I get kind of filled up. I get kind of some, some good ideas on how to live. And so I kind of show up and I, and I do that thing. And, and, and it's not that. So as we view churches, it's this religious entity that I was growing up doing it. I feel guilty when I don't do it or I went away from it, but now I have kids. I think they should probably be exposed to this religious institution. And so we, we go to church. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what God says the church is. What is the church? It is where you belong. It's your family. It's, your bo it's the body of Christ. We come together. And as we go out into the city and we're fulfilling our mission out in the city, we need that group that we come back to who is our own, where we draw strength from each other. That's why we do what we do. That's why we gather here together every week. That's why we gather in relationship in small groups. That's why we gather in to a serving teams and serve together. That's why we're in each other's lives. That's why we have things like get connected cards and next steps classes so we can figure out how do we get, get involved so that church is not just a place I attend. It's not just a place I, I, I watch from time to time online. Church is a place where I belong. Those people there are my own. That's how it's described. So beautiful. They tell them all that happened and then they're going to pray together. And I want you to see how they pray. Let's pick it up in verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, By the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the, and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, pause with me just for a second. The next part of their prayer is where they're gonna make a request of God. But they lead up to this request. You've got to see what they say. Two things. First, they start by addressing very specifically, reminding themselves who they're speaking to when they pray. Sovereign Lord, you are the one in control. Sovereign. Power over everything. You are the one in control. There's nothing outside of your control. Everything comes under your domain, your kingship, sovereign Lord. That's where they start. They're, they're starting by recognizing his power, his reign, his control. 
Then they, they kind of stay in that moment for a second. They say, you made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. You are the creator, the inventor of absolutely everything. I mean, they're stirring up their hearts to understand who God is. Um, over the weekend, I was talking with some friends of mine, and we were, I don't know exactly how we got on the subject, but we, ta- we were talking about um, falling overboard at sea and being lost at sea and how that might be like the worst way to go. Okay, I want you just to imagine you're in the middle of the ocean, okay? You've got your life preserver on. You're just kind of floating there, okay? And you're kind of looking over the waves. You can barely see over the waves, but as you kind of like turn around, you look in every direction, there's nothing, You can't see anything, just sky and sea and waves. You're going up and down on the waves. And then you're like, wait a minute, but what's underneath me? And you kind of look down, okay, and you can see your feet clearly. And then you can tell, I can see a lot farther than my feet. And there's nothing. And you're just kicking your feet. And underneath you, hundreds of feet, thousands of feet, Thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of feet underneath you, miles beneath you. Can you just feel how vulnerable it is underneath your feet? Just waiting there. Do you feel like a panic attack coming on right now? Because I kind of do. Feel like the ocean's starting to swallow you up in that deep blue, blueness of the ocean. I mean, we like going to the beach because, you know, we're safe on the sand here, okay? This is safe. And we look out, oh, look how pretty. If you're in the middle of it, it's terrifying. I mean, think about how gargantuan the ocean is. The ocean overwhelms us. And think of like, compared to the rest of the things in our solar system, the ocean's like a drop. The thing that intimidates us, I mean, imagine dropping the whole ocean on our star, the sun. I mean, imagine you drop it on the sun, it like just sizzles like a drop of water on a frying pan. I mean, imagine the just unimaginable, ferocious, fiery sea that is the sun that could swallow up entire planets. And imagine our sun is actually kind of smallish compared to the other stars in the, in the universe, even just the ones we've seen. I mean, there are stars that if you brought them close, they would just incinerate our entire solar system. Gone. Like the wide orbit of these planets, just gone. Planets moons, the sun just absorbed in these stars. And imagine if you, if you were to pull out a telescope and you look up at the sky and you see um, distant uh, galaxies and it looks like just a swirl of light. It's actually just all together, these pinpricks of light all so smashed together. It looks like one bright light, but in reality, each one of those pinpricks are gargantuan stars with fiery seas of, of fire that we can't imagine its heat. I mean, just imagine how tiny, so very tiny, you and I are. Psalm says that God breathed the heavens out of his mouth and holds them together. I mean, like, how little are the problems of this earth to him? Like, there's nothing that he's like, whoa, that's a toughie. I don't know. I mean, I'm a little overwhelmed. I just need to go sit down. There's nothing even remotely close to that. The only thing surprising is that our big problems, which are so small to him, the only thing that's surprising is that he actually cares about them and is willing to step into them. That's who he is. That's where their prayer starts. It says, sovereign God who made everything And then they say, we remember what you said in Psalm chapter 2, a thousand years earlier by David. You showed us that your Messiah would suffer at the hands of kings. And we saw that, Herod and Pontius Pilate, they raged against the Messiah. But they, even though he suffered, they were not able to stop him. And now we know that his suffering and his, his suffering that resulted in glory was something that you planned from the beginning of time. You even revealed it to us a thousand years earlier. His suffering wasn't your plan went south. We know, we know who you are and we know how you work. We saw how you work through Jesus. And starting on those two theological notes, they make one request of God. Let's pick it up in verse 29. 
And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What would your prayer be? What would your prayer be? I mean, we look back for 2,000 years and see the history of God's people, people who proclaim the name of Jesus. Uh, it's in every generation there is persecution, there's arrest. We actually know what ends up happening to this group. They, almost all of the 12 disciples end up getting martyred for what they believe. All of them suffer for what they believe. Many in this first generation and, and many at different places in the early church get persecuted. We know the story, but put yourself in their shoes. This is the first time any of them have been arrested. This is the first time there's any type of opposition. And they're like, whoa, it's not just coming after our Savior, it's going to come after us too. The same group that brutally murdered Jesus, though he overcame it and rose again from the dead, now they're breathing threats at us. Now they've, they've put their sights now on us. What would your prayer be? God, please, don't make us go through that suffering. I want you to notice what they did not pray. They did not pray, God, we need wisdom here. Should we go on preaching about Jesus or not? Can you tell us what to do? We need your wisdom. They didn't pray that. They already knew the answer. Jesus told them on the mountain when he said, go into all the world. Go be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They didn't stop and say, should we be your witnesses? They already knew the answer. So was their question, Lord, okay, we're, we're, we know we've got to preach the gospel still. We know we've got to be your light. We know we've got to be the salt in the earth um, in, in, our, in our world. So, Lord, just help us to do it without suffering. Just help us to be that presence, and, and we, don't, we don't want to get arrested. We don't want to get beaten. We don't want to get crucified. We don't want to suffer. Lord, just help us to go into that, and, and, and let us still be able to all keep our jobs and, and make a living and live comfortably. Lord, just help us continue going on without feeling discomfort. That was not their prayer. Why? Because they knew their suffering didn't mean something had gone wrong because God is always in control. And they knew their suffering meant that they were just walking in the footsteps of their Savior, Jesus. So whether comfort or discomfort, that was up to God. They just prayed for one thing, boldness. They knew their mission, they didn't pray for greater comfort. They prayed for greater courage. Here's how God answered back to the first group of Christians facing their first opposition who asked for courage. Here's how God answered back, setting a precedent for all who would follow. Look at this. Last verse, verse 31. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Can you imagine? They don't pray for comfort, they pray for courage. And how does God answer them? When they said amen, the ground starts to rumble underneath them. Plates and glasses on tables start to rattle. Some of them tip over and roll down onto the ground. They all kind of have to steady themselves as God is shaking the very room that they're in. Well, why would he choose that particular thing? Pastor Justin illuminated something to me out of this text I hadn't seen before, and I thought this was so powerful. You know, um, when God's presence shows up in places, the molecules of the matter can't help but, but tremble in fear. When um, Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he said, look, I'm the only one that's allowed up here. Um, build a fence all the way around the mountain. If anyone passes that fence, they'll be struck dead by the holy presence of God. He walked up on the mountain and as 
God, the presence of God descended on Mount Sinai to give him the Ten Commandments. It says trumpets blared from the sky. Every person started trembling as they're standing at the foot of the mountain. And it said the mountain itself trembled. Trembled in intimidation by the one that's holding its matter together as its holy, massive presence of God was descending on that mountain. Isaiah chapter 6 he has a vision. He's, he has a vision of being in the throne room of God and at the, the voice and presence of God. It says, the foundation shake underneath him and he throws himself down saying, I'm coming undone. It's like my molecules are flying apart because they're hearing the voice. They're in the presence of the one that's holding them together. Both as Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh, is dying on earth on the cross, the ground shakes and it causes the temple veil to be torn in two. And as he's rising up, breaking the stronghold of death itself, the ground shakes. All through Revelation, the ground is shaking. Why? Because when the presence of God shows up, all of matter, all the universe that bows the knee before him, every particle in the universe trembles and shakes before almighty God. And so the first generation of Christians that are huddling together saying, God, give us courage no matter what comes at us. God says, I want every generation to see from this time forward what happens when they pray for courage to fulfill my mission. I am with them. The holy, powerful presence of God goes with them wherever they go. Christian, isn't that good news for you? The room is shaken because God hears their prayer. You have a mission, Christian. You have a mission. It's an adventure that he's calling you to. All of our plans, we think our plans and dreams, we think they're creative and special. Can we just agree they're all pretty much the same? My life is increasingly more comfortable and successful, and everyone loves me. Like, it's some version of that. <laughs> God's like, the, your life is a, it's an adventure. It's not a day at the spa. I've called you to something so much greater. There's ups and downs. There's, there's terrors and thrills. There's plot twists and turns. He's like, that's what I'm taking you on. I'm doing something tremendous through you. There's going to be things that stretch you, things that, th that you think that can overwhelm you. You know, Christians sometimes say, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not in the Bible. He always gives you more than you can handle. Today's already been more than I can handle. Every day he gives you a day that makes you cling in dependency to Almighty God. Isn't that right, Christian? He's sending you on an adventure mission. You know, there's this one scene of all the Mission Impossibles. I only know that this happens once where they're meeting face-to-face. -face. Actually, Ethan Hunt is actually getting his mission face-to-face. -face. And the mission this time is so absurd. It's so crazy that Ethan Hunt, instead of having all the swagger, he just looks at the guy and says, I don't think that's going to work. And the guy says back, does it sound difficult? And he says, very. And he says back to Ethan Hunt, well, this isn't mission difficult. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Don't you realize what he's sending you on? He's sending you on missions, every one of us on things that are so impossible unless he showed up, it would never happen. That's what he's sending you on. Christian, let's stop praying for more comfort and start praying for more courage. What's courage? This is what courage is. Courage is not recklessness. Courage is not you just kick the door down. No, you have permission from God to use wisdom. Courage is not you go and, and into work tomorrow and get yourself fired. Okay, that's not courage. That's recklessness. 
courage is following in the footsteps of a Daniel, of an Esther, of a Nehemiah, of a Naaman, of a Joseph. And it's navigating using the brain that he's given you and thinking in humble submission to God and whatever he tells you to do, but waiting and thinking and using wisdom to navigate wisely through the circumstances that you have, but being obedient to his mission and putting his mission first. Courage is not meanness. Courage is not posting something mean on social media. Social media actually requires very little courage. You can post something and shut your computer and run away. That doesn't take a lot of courage. Courage is every single day. Not leaving your work and going finding something new. No, no, it's every single day going back to work and sacrificing yourself to show love to the people around you and meeting the need and getting your hands dirty and entering into spaces you ordinarily wouldn't. It's boldness is taking initiative but doing all of it with love. You see that the Holy Spirit is the one who gave them boldness. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit is giving you the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. So courage is not meanness. Courage is not saying things out of fear and out of anger. No, you have patience at the same time. Courage is not saying things that are belittling. It's not saying things hatefully. No, the same spirit that's giving you boldness is giving you love. Courage is not blowing off steam and exploding on someone. No, no, it's the same thing that's giving you courage. It's the same thing giving you self-control and gentleness. What is courage? Courage is walking into your space you are in right now and saying in surrender, Lord, where do you want me to take a courageous step and take a courageous, make a, a courageous initiative for you? I want to show you two stories today of two, uh, some South Florida Christians that entered into their space. They didn't embrace the mission of God and then leave what they were doing. They realized, no, no, I'm here already because there's a mission here. And I want you to see how they took initiative and it took courage. The first one is a couple, a South Florida couple named Princeton and Edwidge. And you'll see that as they were walking through their life experience, they saw that there was a need. And they decided to come together and follow the Lord and take a brave step. And they opened, they co-owned clinics all over South Florida, meeting a desperate need here in South Florida. Watch this Christian couple right here in our city. Check out this video. My name is Preston Yagard. I'm the co-owner of Primary Medical Care Center, together with my wife. We own multiple clinics in South Florida, basically in Dade, Broward, and West Palm Beach. We provide services to our community, and especially to the Haitian community and the Caribbean community. The fact that our parents, and of course her mom and, and my parents, we used to uh, take them to clinic. And for us, when we used to take them to the clinic, we were not satisfied. I remember I had to take time off to take them to the doctor's office because they didn't speak English, didn't have transportation to go. So all of this aspect, we look, we say, how can we do our community better and improve it, you know? So we, we start opening the first clinic, so we provide transportation, or Creole speaking staff, providers and everything. I can help them, you know, communicate better. So that's how it all started, yeah. It's not just because I'm a business owner, I have to care for that, even though we're not a business owner, but we probably will do the same because everything that you have is not guaranteed, but only God can help you get to the place that you're in. So it's what we're doing in all our centers. Make patient happy, make employees happy, and make them see Christ in us by the way we treated them every day. For me, it's not enough to say that I'm a Christian, just to say the word. I have to be able to put that Christian faith into actions, into my workplace, um, how I interact with my coworkers, with my family, every day in life, you know? Like we say, Princeton and I are so uh, privileged and blessed to be business owners, but sometimes I ask those questions, so why do God put us there, you know? 
He has a specific purpose for us. So with that in mind, I always like pray every day and ask God, try to open our eyes to see, you know, to try to see people the way he does, to try to put myself into somebody else's shoes, you know? Love that story. And I want you to hear what they said. There was just something, they watched what happened right in front of them. So often as Christians, we think to go on mission means to leave our present circumstances and do something else. But they just said it was, it, it was right here where we work, it was right here in our life. We, there was a, a missing piece here in our city and they took the initiative and they, were, and they believe what they're doing every day as they show love and dignity to people and meet a need in our community. They're on God's mission. So what is right in front of you? I'll see, why don't you see one more story? This is the story of Deanne, a teacher here in South Florida. And I want you to see her story of how she's going through as a teacher and everything was status quo and things began to change very quickly. And so she's seizing an opportunity to follow God's path and realize that she's already on mission right where God's placed her. Why don't you check out this story? Hi, my name is Deanne Reynolds and I'm a teacher here at Pembroke Pines Charter Middle School, West Campus. So in March 2020, when the pandemic hit and we were forced into quarantine, teaching as I knew it began to look really different. Students had a really hard time connecting with each other, um, connecting with their peers in class and also connecting with the teachers. It was really disheartening, um, especially when, you know, some of them wanted to end their lives. Um, some of them had to be Baker acted. It, it just crushed us as teachers. Watching our students go through, you know, their, their depression and their um, anxiety and, and the being so withdrawn, um, I needed to find a way to um, help my students. God placed on my heart a need for a solution to this. So we decided to create a leadership and service program where we would help these kids um, or give them a platform um, actually for them to be able to serve the community and love on the community and in doing so lift up themselves by lifting others. You know, we, we actually only started with two students and the excitement grew, you know, helped them with their anxiety and with their depression, knowing that they were doing something good. Um, and so our students saw that there was a need um, with all the natural disasters taking place with the hurricanes and the earthquakes. Um, and they wanted to really help the island of Haiti. So we were really excited to be able to um, pack and ship 100, over 125 boxes of supplies to help those in need. We hope to bring this program into um, countless schools across the country um, and beyond. Just seeing the joy that service learning has brought to our students, it has reignited my passion for teaching and it has also reassured the, the calling that God has placed on my life um, to empower these students to be the salt and light and a beacon of hope for Christ. I want you to hear in that story, you know, all the difficulty going on among our students. We've got to pray for our students and our children in this season. But one teacher just said, what can I do? I mean, these students, there's so much isolation in this season. He said, well, I could train them leadership. I could train them servant leadership. I could teach them to serve others, get their focus off themselves, get their focus on others. Where would she get that idea from? Well, the greatest servant leader in the history of the universe, God himself coming to earth to serve a tiny little group of creatures called humans and to provide salvation. Look, it, it, what it is is each person Imagine if each person in South Florida, 
each Christian tomorrow went to work and realized it's not just a day to survive. It's not just, a, it's just something to tolerate. No, this is my mission field. You have a mission right here. You've got someone you want me to reach. You've got something you, you have for me right here, God. You've placed me here. You've got a mission on my life. Well, then, Christian, don't be surprised when the one thing, I mean, you, here's what we've told you. You've got a mission. He's told you he's got a mission for you. You don't have to wait for a mission. He's got one already. He's planned for the beginning of time. Last week, we, we learned that you've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the presence of the living God inside of you. You've got already all that you need, so there's only one thing left. You just need courage. Take courage, Christian. But shouldn't that be one of the very essential attributes of a Christian? Shouldn't that be just fundamentally who we are? Why? Because of our Jesus, who without a word was arrested, even though by, by just saying simple words in the garden, everyone fell down around him, and yet he allowed himself to be arrested. He allowed himself to be falsely accused. He just stood there in the midst of all of those insults, all that mockery, all the unjust, false accusations. He just stood there silently and took it. He took the punches. He took, he took the, the, the mockery and the spit, and he took getting beaten with a rod, and he took getting a crown of thorns on him, and he got, he got tied to a post, and he got whipped within an inch of his life and then he got mocked with, with fake kingly robes even though he's the one that underneath that flesh is the most glorious being in the history of all of creation but he walked through it silently and what carried him through it? The man had courage. God in the flesh as a man had courage and he took the nails in his hands, he took the nails in his feet, and he took the six hours on the cross, dragging himself up and down, gasping for breath, and speaking forgiveness on, his, on the very ones that were assaulting him. He faced all of our sin, all of our shame. He faced abandonment by God the Father. He faced death and hell itself in courage. And he raised up defeating all of, all of hell, all of sin, all of death, he rose up in victory and he called us to follow after him. Be strong and courageous, Christian. He's calling you to a great mission. We're gonna end our service a little bit different. I don't know if you've ever been at a service where they commission a missionary or they commission a pastor, there's a moment when they've, they're prayed over and sent out on their mission. And that's important, and we do that. But sometimes we forget that having a mission is not just for pastors and missionaries. You have a mission. You are a missionary here in South Florida. And so today, I want to commission any of you who are ready to go out on your mission field. And I want you to remember this day as the day you accepted your mission to go after Jesus and follow after whatever mission he has for you. Maybe today's the day it went from your career to a calling. It went from your plans to God's plans. It went from, from your, your goals to his mission for your life. And if you're ready to receive that mission, I'm gonna in a moment invite you to stand and I'm gonna pray over you and commission you as we end the service out onto your mission. And so maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're watching online, you may be at home on your couch, but if, if you're ready to receive your mission to go out as a missionary in your city, I want you to stand, even if you're there in your, in your home, and I'm gonna pray over you. So let's do this now. If you're here and you want to receive that mission, I'm gonna invite you to stand and I'm gonna pray over you. If you're at Cooper City, you're watching online, and you're ready to receive your mission and go out onto your mission field, Go ahead and stand. Wherever he's called you, wherever you work, if you want to receive, you're going to change courses and go out, go out into that as your mission. You go ahead and stand, and I'm going to pray over you. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, maker of heaven and earth, 
and the sea and all that's in them. The same God that our spiritual fathers and mothers prayed to in that upper room that day in Jerusalem. You are hearing our prayers again. And we are walking in the spirit of so many generations. We receive your mission, Jesus. Receive your mission to go and make disciples of all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that you have commanded us because we know that you are here with us to the end of the age. Lord, we receive your mission to be your witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We believe that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people that you've chosen to do your work. Lord, we believe that we are your workmanship created for your mission, and we receive it. For every man and woman here, every, every person, no matter what season of life, no matter where they work, no matter what industry, Lord, no matter what neighborhood, no matter what friend group, no matter what background, Holy Spirit, fill them, empower them, use them mightily, Lord, as they go out on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, on Sunday, every single day doing your mission, we receive your mission and give us courage. Fill us, Holy Spirit, and give us courage for whatever you call us to do. And it is in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. It's in the mighty victorious name of Jesus that we ask that you would shake our city. As Christians are going into the city, we ask that when this generation of Christians receiving your call, when we're done and when we stand before you, we will look back and see that you shook up South Florida and you brought down its idols and you brought down its strongholds and you brought revival and a work of the Holy Spirit, drawing South Florida to its knees with the banner of Jesus Christ reigning in this city forever to be changed. And we know that you can do it, Jesus. We lift all this up in your name. Amen. Can we thank Jesus for the calling he's put on our lives? Praise you, Jesus. Thank you. I'm going to invite everyone to stand. We're going to close together in this song as we're reminded of who Jesus is, the only thing that matters. It's just Jesus. Let's sing this. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.